All right. Well, welcome everyone to Newton's Laws of Classroom Blogging. My name is Wes Fryer, and I hail from Oklahoma City, and I'm here at Miami Device for the second time. And we'll just warn you at the beginning: I am passionate about student voice and blogging and sharing, and I think that. Sometimes at conferences we talk a lot about the how-to of the blogging, but we don't spend enough time on the why. And so today's session is really going to be almost all about the why. We can talk uh, about the how, but I'll, and I have resources for the how. But my goal is to really talk a lot about the why. So all of the resources for this session are available at the following shortened link, which will take you to a Google site that I set up. So it's just wfryer.me/newton, and my Twitter handle is wfryer. So if you are a tweeter, uh, please uh, share any of your learning on Twitter and uh, reach out to me, and I'd love to follow you and remain connected even after the conference. And Miami Device is one of those amazing opportunities to not only learn in a concentrated time, face to face for two days, but to keep on learning. And I'm sure that after Adam's keynote this morning, come on in. Yep, we're good. Mm-hmm. Um, the hashtag has already started to blow up, and it's just. I was a, a, a little bit of a late adapter to Twitter. Why would I want to know what people have for breakfast? That seems so silly. But what I've realized is that it's a way to hang out with people's minds, right? And how are we influenced the most? The most when we get to hang out with people and really spend time. No, it's not the same to do virtually, but it is. You know, a fen- it's being used in phenomenal ways. So um, I'll put that link up at the end, um, and you can also, um, I think, from the. Skid schedule for Miami Device. Click on the interactive writing page of my Show with Media site, and you can get to it there. So today we're going to talk about Newton's laws of classroom blogging, and I am being pretty audacious here to say that I'm, you know, I'm going to define what these laws are. But I, I've talked to some some good friends, especially Maria Nee, who is a kindergarten teacher up in New Hampshire. Just got to hang out with her. Um, a couple weeks ago, when my son was up there visiting colleges, and um, I'd love your input. This is the first run at this presentation, and uh, I'm using this as a metaphor, and we'll just kind of see how it goes. But would love to hear what you have to say, and I'm I'm sure I'm I'm going to miss stuff. But um, Newton's laws help us understand our world. Uh, and, and I was talking to my wife about this this morning, and she said, well, everybody may not be totally clear on Newton's laws. Probably we've seen Newton's bridge, okay? Probably every reaction has an equal and opposite reaction. We may not know second law, third law, you know, but we're familiar. The story of the apple falling from the tree, gravity, um, these things help us understand our, our world. They also help us predict behavior. Now, I did teach STEM the last two years, uh, fourth and fifth grade, in Yukon, Oklahoma, just west of Oklahoma City. And I kind of say I stayed in the Holiday Inn Express last night, but I didn't. I actually stayed right across the street at the hotel. Um, but as a STEM teacher and, and just somebody who loves science and knows a, has read a little bit about you know Einstein and relativity, like Newton's laws aren't completely predictive of the universe. In fact, I was just reading it was an anniversary, I think, of uh, Einstein's law or Einstein's theory of relativity. And one of the things that was puzzling to scientists was the orbit of Mercury and how it did not completely align to what Newton would predict. And they even forecast maybe there was another planet. Uh, I forget what the name of it was. Um, But anyway, it turns out that we needed a new theory, relativity, and we needed this idea of space-time. We use this stuff, right, without... That was uh, Einstein's law, uh, theory of relativity. GPS wouldn't work. I mean, how many of us have had our lives affected by GPS? Yes, that's how I navigated here last night, you know, in the dark with my wife in our rental car. It's not perfect, okay? And Newton's laws are not perfect, and Einstein's laws seem to fit a little bit better, but they're helpful for us as we think about behavior. And as we think about behavior of students in our classrooms, as we think about teachers in our school, parents in our community, leaders in our community, I think that there are some things that seem to be fairly universal that we can point to to call it a law. And, you know, in in science... It, it really is still theoretical, right? We're still theories, but things that we're pretty sure about, we start to call laws. 
So no one, I don't think, would dispute the importance of writing. Okay, I did a session at ISTE, our International Technology Association conference, a few years ago in San Antonio, and the whole thing was about changing our vocabulary, talking with teachers about technology. And I was saying, let's stop saying blogging. Let's stop saying podcast because it's easy to lose people right there. What? I don't know what that was. Wiki? What? What was that? But writing books. I mean, there are things that. Every parent is going to connect with. Yes, of course. I want my child to read. I want them to be able to write. I want them to be able to do math. But really, as we think about this, I would say communication is the key skill. And, and this even reminds me of keyboarding. You know, sometimes we lament, "Oh, the kids and they're not taking keyboarding and they're not learning home row." Well, I'll tell you, I did this presentation, you know, on my iPad, you know, using using touch finger typing. How many of us use Siri today, or or, or talking to our phone? Do you guys are doing that to text? Communication is a key skill. The modes which which we're using, um, the tools we're using to communicate are continuing to change and evolve. But writing is essential. Communication is essential. Part of what I hope this presentation might help you do is make the case in your context for how we need to be digitally sharing more, how we need students to be communicating in these connected spaces. So, what are the laws of classroom blogging? Well, how many of you know the app Adobe Voice? Are you familiar with it? Great app. Um, I've been doing three-day iPad media camps with teachers the last three summers. And the first day, one of the main things we learn is how to make a narrated slideshow. Well, this Adobe Voice app has become my favorite narrated slideshow app. And so, a few days ago, I put together the following little video on my iPad with Adobe Voice, um, and it it took about probably thirty、uh, minutes. I mean, I already had my plan. Right here were the laws. But I selected the pictures, I narrated, and then created it. So we'll take a look at this first. These are Newton's laws of classroom blogging. All ideas get better with feedback. An authentic audience improves writing. Blogs expand the walls of the classroom. Blogs encourage sharing. Blogs encourage relationship building. To learn more about Newton's laws of classroom blogging, visit wfryer.me/newton. All right, and what's so cool, of course, is Adobe Voice does the attribution for all of those. That last one came from the Noun Project, which I learned about last year at Miami Device from Tony Vincent, and he did a great session on icons, pictures, you know, using images. So that was a short, I don't know, 45 second summary of of the laws. Um, but before I kind of go into those in depth, I want to tell you a story. In fact, I want to encourage you to find your stories about blogging personally and with your students, and to share those locally because local stories resonate differently. Okay, I can tell you. I'm going to tell you a family story here in a minute in school. I can tell you a story about UConn that we, you know, had the first year our sixth graders. It was like three years ago. We're starting to do blogging, but. And that's that's great to hear, but it it resonates differently when I tell it in Yukon public schools. It resonates differently when when folks, oh yeah, that's you know so and so. We know him. We know his parent. So our family has had a learning blog for probably about seven or eight years now. And one of the reasons I set this up、uh, was because I wanted a place to be able to share our kids' work and be able to go back. And really, nobody in our school, public schools that my kids were attending,、um, nobody was doing this. Nobody was really doing blogs, and so、um, this was something that was a sandbox. And I'll talk about that today. We need places to play that's a little more low stakes, so we can get comfortable with it. It's a way that I got comfortable with blogging. And frankly, now it's just an awesome way to go back and look at stuff. How many of you have seen in Facebook the flashback where they say, like three years ago today, my wife just showed me one this morning of our daughter cooking, where she had like this Tigger tail when she was like four years old and in the kitchen. So I mean, it's it's great to be able to look back. And so this might be an idea for you in terms of thinking about your own blogging. How many of you have a blog that you write on at this point? Does anybody have one? Okay, so about a third to a half of us. And how many are blogging with kids right now with your students? Okay, so about three. 
Um, so, learning signs, our family learning blog. Used to be able to just Google learning signs and be the first hit on Google. Now it's like the third or fourth one. But when my son, who's now a senior, Alexander, was in eighth grade, his English teacher had them write poems and type them and put them on a, on a poster in the classroom. So when I visited for parent-teacher night, uh, I took a picture. That, that's Alexander's um, poem that's there on the wall. So that was great to be able to see that in the classroom, but I asked him, since he had typed it, to go ahead and post it on our family learning blog. Yes, I coerced my own children to blog to go ahead and share that. So we will not read the whole thing, but I'll read you the first couple of stanzas. There was a fire ban that year, but the careless, the carless campers left, leaving smoldering remains behind, the fire that ate the forest. Wind whispered wordlessly in the trees. The fire was given new life, like a new small heartbeat, the fire that ate the forest. The fire lit the dry grass. It was gathering in strength, like a lion preparing to strike, the fire that ate the forest. And it goes on. When we typically share student work at school, we, we do things like put it up on the walls of the classroom, put it in the hallways, uh, put it in places where parents and other students and other teachers can encounter that work and can see it and then um, hopefully you know, be able to give some feedback to that child. But usually we don't have a way to record that feedback. It may happen that you can talk to them later, but it's not like everybody who passes in the hallway and sees that you know, writes down below a little comment or records something. I mean, that... That just typically doesn't happen. Well, as a blog, as a website that has posts with content and then a place to comment, several people had commented. Now, I'm not going to go to Joyce first. Who do you think Nana is? That would be my mother, okay? So we live in Oklahoma City. Nana, my mom and dad, they live in Manhattan, Kansas. And so she wrote... Uh, at 10.02 p.m. on August 15, 2011. Wow, I can just see the flames and feel the heat. It really reminds me of the Yellowstone fires that destroyed Wilder's cabin in Wyoming. Thanks for sharing, Alex. How often do you think Nana has a chance to see student work of her grandchildren? Like, not very much, right? Pretty rare. And not that many opportunities to be able to provide feedback. This is probably the one that we were most excited about. But this was kind of exceptional too. Joyce McGreevy, what a powerful narrative poem, Alexander. Marvelous use of figurative language and suspense-building repetition. Thank you for sharing it with us. Keep writing. You have a gift. Best wishes, Joyce McGreevy, author, Sierra Club Books, and editor, National Geographic School Publishing. What? Now, I know the publishing industry is in crisis, but is this what we're doing now in publishing? Oh, it was at 9.38 p.m. Central Time on August 15th. So I think Joyce was on her own clock then. And how cool, how powerful, how awesome to be able to have feedback from outside the classroom. Now, I acknowledge to you that this is a personal story, okay? I, I have classroom stories as well, and depending on time, I might, I was going to kind of sandwich this uh, with, with two different stories. Personal stories, I think, resonate more, and all of us can have stories to tell. And so one of the challenges, maybe the most important challenge I'll, I'll share with you today, is for you to share your own stories with blogging. How has it been transformative? What's happened that wouldn't have happened otherwise? What kind of interaction you know, took place that you know, occurred because we shared this then you know, that, that wouldn't have happened if, if we hadn't done it? So um, let me actually give you a, a little time. I'm going to set my little timer here. My favorite stopwatch. Let's see how my internet's working. Uh, my favorite stopwatch is online stopwatch. So you're going to have just about 90 seconds. What I'd like for you to do is turn to your neighbor, introduce yourself to your neighbor, and then share if you have one uh, some kind of story about blogging, some kind of story about where something happened that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Something that you remember that was that was a big deal, either something that you read or something that happened, you know, with with you blogging or, or kids blogging. Okay, you have a minute and thirty seconds. Go. Honestly, I really have no experience with blogging, which is why I came here in the first... I mean, I read blogs, but uh -huh. I've never... And now I'm teaching... This is my first year teaching second grade. I taught third grade for about eight years. And so I'm 
interested in how can my second graders do it and what, you know. Right. What's the best route? What's the best route? Okay. Um, have you, how have you all published work before? Like, as you've shared work? A lot of our work we do on Google Docs, so that way, if I don't have time to actually meet with them one on one, that I can comment and then they can check on their own time. Okay. Um, so that's what, so almost everything that they type is in there. And then also, I like that because they can travel right. with them from grade to grade. Sure. And then I do, so then we print out what they type and what's yeah. out there. And we've used Padlet before, so that's another way that we can scan QR codes to get to their work. Okay. So are they on iPads then when yes. you're giving them the feedback? we have a one-to-one iPad. Okay, and how has that worked with Google Docs? Has Fantastic. that been... Yeah. And the first time is always a little hairy. Right. Trying to get them all set up and remembering right. their logins and their passwords. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the big things about thinking about a blog that's public is just sort of lowering the barriers for feedback, still guarding the gate with moderation and being able to approve stuff, you know, but opening up more possibilities. And even with classes, you know, that are outside. So. All right. So, Melissa and I were, were chatting, this is her lovely classroom, um, about how she's used Google Docs and, and given her kids comments, and they've been using iPads, but hasn't yet done the public blog. Um, the first law is all ideas get better with feedback, and there's lots of ways that we give feedback to kids. If we think about setting up a public blog where other people can visit, we still guard the gate, we still moderate as the teacher what goes on there, the comments that are posted, moderation is a tool in every blogging platform, and we want to always turn that on, that's my you know, two cents, because the last thing any of us want is something inappropriate, something hurtful, bullying, any of that. But by having a blog that we publicly share, we open up the door for, for feedback that's beyond the walls of our classroom. And um, every idea gets better with feedback. I don't care how many initials you have behind your name, I don't care how long you've been going to how long you've been going to school or whatever, you know, it's gonna be better with feedback. And that's I'm interested in feedback on this session too, right? The ideas of this session are gonna you know, can improve with feedback that we get. And so we talked you said Padlet you've used some, Google Docs you've used. Those are all interactive writing tools, which are awesome. And I see blogging kind of fitting in inside that tent. It might even be less scary in some cases to talk with parents about interactive writing. Well, why are you doing this? Wes, why are you doing this? It's because we do interactive writing. You know, if I limit my students to just the feedback I can provide, gosh, I'm going to limit them so much in terms of of their learning. But if, if we can have feedback from a bigger audience, from peers, from parents, maybe even from other classes, you know, that can allow us to have our ideas get better. Um, anybody share an, uh, a, a quick story or anything that they want to, or you want to volunteer your neighbor to, to share a story about blogging or something that had happened? Well, we were just sort of talking about, like, how he deals with, like, high school kids, and I just started blogging with second graders, but we were saying how no matter how old they are, how long they've been doing it, they're always excited to get a comment, and they just feel this, like, right. excitement and this spark right. when they get feedback from even this just, classmates or their teachers or somebody else. Yep, absolutely. And we'll talk about that. That's the whole audience piece. You know, we've heard, we talk about the circular file. I don't know if your trash can list is circular, but you know, like, where does this go? It goes in the circular file. I did a whole blog post at the end of sixth grade where my son, I literally caught him. He was throwing away every paper from sixth grade into the dumpster. Really? Are you going to throw all that away? You know, but you know, that's where a lot of work goes. But when we share something publicly and we're able to get feedback, it can change with audience and there's no silver bullet. I mean, if there is a silver bullet in education, it's a great teacher, right? It's great teachers in the classroom. There's no technology that's a silver bullet. But we can say that some of these things appear appear to be true. So that gets right into number two. Great segue. An authentic audience improves writing. When all of us do something for a group, it's different, right? Me getting this session ready for a conference you know, I, I tried to bring my best game. I used, have you heard of Haiku Deck before? A little app I'll mention. I love Haiku Deck. Uh, I built this slideshow on my iPad using Haiku Deck, and it has the attribution for where these pictures that, are, that were licensed, permission was given by the photographers, it's all, it's all right there at, at the bottom. Um, when we prepare something for an audience, it changes things. It's not magical. It's not going to happen for every single child. But I would echo what you said, is every time I've 
helped the class get started with blogging. We're doing blogging. There's a buzz. There's an excitement. There's an awareness, especially when the comments start to come in or we look at the map that shows, you know, where people are pulling up our, our blog and our website. You know, that that is not normal <laughs> in those classrooms today. And, it you know, blogging has been around for a while, like since the mid-2000s. But even though we're maybe 10 years or so, 10 plus years into being able to have blogs, it's it's not a normal kind of thing. And there are reasons for that. And, I, and we can talk a little bit about some of those as far as the fear factor. Adam Bello this morning talked about fear. It's huge, right? Why do you fear blogging? My kids are going to misspell words. Okay, My parents are going to think I'm a bad teacher because this is how my kids write. And so, and that looks different, you know, in second grade than it looks in in eighth grade and twelfth grade. Um, so there's stuff to navigate as far as what we're going to share. But overall, I believe, if you, especially when you allow kids, they can go in, they can edit their work. You know, they end up writing better. How are we going to get to to be better writers? Well, actually, Stephen Krashen wrote a whole book called The Power of Reading. And do you know how he said we get to be better writers? The research says. The book is a hint. It's actually by reading. <laughs> we, we, we see modeled writing the most when we read. And so by becoming voracious readers, we learn to be better writers. But we also practice writing. So the audience is an important piece of that puzzle. Um, I would say the third law of classroom blogging is the wall expansion law. And that blogs expand the walls of the classroom. Um, Melissa was talking about Google Docs, but I won't necessarily put her on the spot. Can anybody speak to this, how interactive writing more generally, or blogs specifically, have allowed for feedback that wouldn't have been able to happen within the traditional confines of our bell schedule, our classroom, you know, that feedback happened outside of that. Anybody speak to that? Or? All right, so we have um, in our district, we're dual districts, and uh, some of the things that our teachers say is that they're able to provide feedback, but they're also able to do peer feedback. And so before they post to the blog, that writing is going to go through lots of revisions before then it goes to that authentic mm-hmm. audience. So that has been really helpful. In- and, it, and it's a very interesting dynamic because now with the blog, sometimes I've had this happen in my own classroom and with working with other teachers as a coach, there's this push to publish. Like, oh, I just got to publish it. I just got to publish it. Well, wait a minute. The writing process, we want to look at that. We want to revise it. Has anybody else looked at that? So um, situating blogging, and it's something that we, we navigate as teachers with our students, like, what are we going to need until before we see before we publish? You know, um, I tend to be a little more on the the free elective choice side of as long as it's not appropriate, it's not hurtful, and and it's your writing and you want to share it. Great. Um, I don't want to stand in the way because Adam talked. To, I think I have a slide in here about fragile human voices or student voices, it's very easy to quash writing enthusiasm in a classroom, right? If I say, you will not misspell a word in this class when we publish because it will reflect on me and our school. I mean, come on. That's all the air is going to go out of that balloon. Um, We're going to try to write better. We're going to try to have feedback. But we kind of each navigate what does that look like as far as the process and what we want to have before we, we do the final publish. Uh, I have a quick story. My daughter, I was driving up through the panhandle of Oklahoma up to Dodge City, Kansas, which is about six hours away, five hours away. And uh, my daughter was, was, having, uh, was writing and, and wanted feedback. And this was a, maybe this was last year. And so as soon as I got to the hotel, she was texting me, you know, flip open the laptop online, you know, Google Docs. And so we're talking and she's showing me her document and we're reading through it, you know, but being able to be in different places at different times, providing feedback. Those kinds of experiences are actually really important to share and talk about. We're in the midst of this huge transition in technology and communication and information with very little time to adjust. Okay? It took a long time for everybody to get a TV in our country. It took a long time for electrification to happen everywhere. You know, But just like Adam said again this morning, how quickly has, has technology become mobile? You know, it's be, you know, you remember when it was hard to take a video and then put it online? I mean, it's, it's not... 
you have to be careful when you use the word easy, but like I had to buy a $1,200 camcorder at Best Buy that I had to get on a 12-month finance plan, you know, and then tapes, and then you record, and then you import them into your computer, and then, I mean, and then you put it online, and then nobody can see it because we didn't have any smartphones, and I mean, that was the mid-2000s. But we've come a long way in a fast time. It's important for us to share those stories, okay? Share stories about how... Interactive writing, blogging, how these kinds of things have caused some transformation. So, law number four, the sharing law. Blogs encourage sharing. Um, in the video, I have that picture of the dog coming up to the high chair with the kid eating the cake. That's kind of my favorite Creative Commons sharing picture. But sharing is so basic and it's so huge. Felix Giacomino, our wonderful host here, Um, gave the closing keynote in Manhattan, Kansas, about a year ago in January, and his whole thing was about sharing. In fact, he rewrote the song Frozen and sang it. Uh, for this will, this will be an impromptu. Let's see if I can get this. So if we Google Felix sings Frozen, YouTube sharing, This is on my account, so maybe I should just search my YouTube channel. little YouTube literacy. So here we're going to, well, now I'm searching, searching YouTube live. All right, let's click on the search box for this channel. So I've gone to my channel. I'm going to type Felix. I don't have that many videos of Felix. Okay, and here it is. Have you all seen this? He had it synchronized to a PowerPoint where other people had done videos that they were sharing. I'll put that on our, our page. I didn't actually plan to, to share that. But, but hey, blogs encourage sharing. Blogs were one of the first technologies of the interactive web and what people have called Web 2.0, meaning that we don't have to do programming. We don't have to do coding. We can just go online and we can share. And even today... Um, I would say they can be looked at as a cornerstone of your digital house that you're building in your classroom. Um, why is it better to share on a blog than just to share uh, a tweet? I mean, Twitter is great, but part of the reason is being able to go back and find it later. Uh, my wife, Shelly Fryer, is here, and yesterday when we were on our layover in Baltimore, um, I helped her put a post up on her blog. ShellyFryer.com about this field trip that she took two weeks ago with her kids where they went fishing. And it was some, one of the first times for some of her kids to fish. She teaches third and fourth grade in a school for homeless kids. And they did a nice video, a group called OKC Good, um, featured what happened. And it's just awesome. It's so cool that here she has placed photographs, video, uh, text, all of those things can go into a blog. And there's so much power in sharing, in being able to share our experiences, being able to share uh, resources. I mean, it, like sharing is the foundation of learning. So blogs are a huge engine of powering sharing. And I think that's one of the, one of the best parts of what's happening in education right now is generous sharing. There's a lot of generous sharers here at Miami Device. We can be connected to each other as we share. And so blogs play a big part in that. And then the, the fifth one, this is one that Maria Nee, who I told you as a kindergarten teacher in New Hampshire, suggested. Uh, it's about relationship building. Most teachers, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong, but I think most teachers would probably agree that relationships are essential for learning. 
you can have content, you can have ideas, but without that relationship, you know, the learning is just not going to happen the same way um, that it can when we have relationship. And so what blogs end up allowing us to do is to create relationship. Um, we can do that with other things. We can have other channels where we're going to do that. Um, we can use YouTube. We can use Twitter. We can use podcasts. Um, but blogs can really allow for that relationship because not only is the sharing happening, it's interactive. It's, it's multi-way. And it's not just us broadcasting our ideas and putting them out there. It's also receiving that feedback from, from others. So what I'd like to do next is talk about what classroom blogs should not be. And I'm going to actually give you, um, again, a little bit of time to, to do this at your table. Uh, so if you were going to come up with a list, and, and you don't look ahead on the slides. I know they're out there and you can look at them. But just talk, talk at your table. What do you think, what do you think are bad ways to use classroom blogs? Or if not bad ways, then ways that just aren't, um, as positive as, as perhaps other alternatives. Okay? You have 90 seconds to talk about what blogs should not be. Ready? Go. Do you all have some teachers who've been exploring with blogs or anything? Yes, I, I did a little bit of last year, but it was one of those things that when did we think about it? Right. We didn't want them to just put out anything. Right. We wanted to make sure that it was something that really reflected what they were doing. And, right. And that was something that they had a little challenge with, which was finding, writing the reflection on the project. So like, they were great with the project, and they, and they had to go back and they think. And that actually kind of helps us a little bit, too. They go, okay, should we do this project this way? Should we change? Right, right. Sometimes audio can be helpful for that. My wife um, has struggled this year, too, with finding the time for her kids to blog. But we started to use an app called Opinion on the iPad. And so they've done closing meeting uh, podcasts about their word of the week or about something they're studying. And she's found that to be um, a more streamlined and fast way to collect student ideas and voices. Last year, I think we used Blogger Junior to get everything But then, I think, and also wasn't the same, because it was the first year that I think that most of the school was trying to do it, so it was kind of working out those cases. But yeah, it really is getting the time factor. That 15th hour of the day. Right, right. Yeah, that's hard. So we were talking a little bit about time and how difficult it is to find the time for anything else. And my wife has struggled with that this year a lot as well. Um, anybody have anything else they've talked about as far as blogging or things that blogs should not be used for or ways it should be used? <laughs> Maybe that was a bad prompt. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead, Richard. What you were saying about not not having it be a substitution for paper necessarily, having sort of like a vision, I guess, or intention. Yeah, I think I think you, there's not much point in using a blog unless you, even if you're doing it inside the school, unless you're guaranteeing that communication, that feedback, comment, because because there are teachers who think, okay, I'll give it a go, and they kind of do a paper substitution. So it's like, okay, everyone's going to get their private little blog, and you can just keep right. it yourself, and instead of writing on paper like you do. You can write it, and and that's not what. Yeah, so okay. I yeah. I also say that blog, you, an early thing you need to get them into is categorizing and tagging. So so have we we, we do all of our stuff in high school by blog, and we have we have to categorize by you know by topic or subject, and then they try to tag subtopics within that. That that makes finding stuff later on much easier. Can you give an example of what you just did? How do you tag, or what what kinds of categories? The example that you have used, they stop tag. It's our, our systems vary different to the states. Um, yeah, and, I'm not from the states either. So. Yeah. Um, so so our most of our students run cross even at the end of high school they run cross curricular projects. Um, so more and more, um, even in subjects. So when they were about three years ago. Um, they would categorize, you'd have, a, you'd have a category one for each subject, so you'd be able to go to anyone in the world, you'd be able to go to their English work. But within that English work, you need to be able to subcategorize and then sub tag the 
projects you've done for years? Couple examples. This is my wife's kid log from last year. Uh, one way these are categorized is by the author. So we can go over here and you know click on Hunter, and we're going to see Hunter's work. If um, Hunter had used tags to blog uh, or on on his posts, we would be able to see those uh, separate categories. This year, she has started to use a tool called Write About. And it is more complicated. It, it may be a, she's she's thinking about actually maybe going back to kid blog for her for her kids because it gives a lot more choices. But um, these are the posts that her students have done. Uh, so um, here's one that um, Olin published in Lunar Eclipse. And when Olin posted this, he put it in the category of science. So we can click on that category of science. And we're going to be able to see other posts posted by other students about science. And there's categories for hobbies and fun, life at home, literature. I mean, this particular platform allows for students to be able to see work outside of their classroom and also share their work beyond their classroom. So in this case, the categories are predefined by the folks that make write about. And John Spencer actually is here. He's one of the, the co-founders. Um, there's also, you know, open tagging where you decide the keyword and you put those in. And so you uh, basically say this is about gaming or this is about, you know, hobbies or this is about Minecraft or whatever. So I love what Richard said about private because it's absolutely true. If we want to steal all the power of blogging, number one, let's say you're going to be the only other person to see it besides me. <laughs> um, it's fine to write that way. And interactive writing can, can be powerful that way with Google Docs, with other things. But really, blogging is designed and is most powerful when it is openly shared. So three quick ideas on this question. I believe classroom blogs should not be used as an assignment collection tool. Okay, This isn't Google Classroom. Google Classroom is a great tool. And I have lots of especially middle school and high school teachers um, at our school. I'm at Cassidy School in Oklahoma City. We're a pre-K through 12th grade independent school with about 900 kids. I've got teachers on fire with Google Classroom. My orchestra teacher is loving it. He's having kids record parts of their rehearsals at home and put on their smartphone and then post that into Google Classroom. And there's a lot of great interaction and feedback, but he's using that for daily assignments. I don't think using a blog is the best way to do that. I have been guilty actually teaching pre-service teachers at times of using it in this way, and it it was good to introduce everybody to it, and and so you know all rules can be broken. But in general, uh, I think it's best to not use this like as a learning management system, as your Moodle, as your Canvas, as your Blackboard, as you know Haiku, whatever system, Edmodo, whatever system you know you use for kids to turn in their work. I would encourage you not to think about that for the blog. I also don't think blogs should have identical titles, okay? I didn't put any screenshots on here, but there have been some blogs, and not just in the past year, but this kind of always happens, where the teacher gives the assignment says, okay, this is what I want you to title it, this is what you're going to write, this is what I want you to put on. Can you use the blog in that way? Sure, you can. You can use it for kids to turn in their daily work as well, but... How am I going to know which title post to click on to give feedback when all the titles are the same? You know, a big part of writing for, for instance, news is having a catchy headline, right? Trying to summarize what this is about and getting the attention of the audience. And so I don't think that is the best way to use a blog where you're mandating exactly what it looks like and everybody's title looks the same. And then the last thing is I don't think it should be a forum for just one-way communication. Again, there's all kinds of ways to use it. I've used blogs before as an announcement place. Before Remind 101, which Felix had us you know, sign up for on our phones if we want to get announcements, I, was, I used Blogger a, a while back for a, a pre-service teacher class that I used. But that's really, there are, there are better tools. It's like you have this toolbox, okay, and you want to choose which tool to use. When you pull the blog tool out, think interaction, think feedback more than one-way uh, broadcast or delivery. So a couple ideas of what I would consider to be keys for classroom blogs. First of all, everyone has a story to tell. And frankly, it's hard in school to have time for that, right? Because we have a schedule and a curriculum and situations vary greatly as far as how pressured you know teachers feel to, to address content. But... Even if we are doing show and tell, right? There's, there's going to be more 
there are more stories out there than we're going to have time in class to share. And so by providing a blog as a place where your students can share, where they can write, where they can find an audience, you can provide opportunities for them to tell stories, to share things. We all need to navigate this line now of what do we share and what do we not share. Um, I will give a shout out to a great book. We're actually meeting with a committee at our school talking about not just internet safety, but digital citizenship. Um, I read this book by Dana Boyd um, about two years ago probably called It's Complicated. Have you heard of this before? The PDF of this is, com- is available completely free. Dana did her, her PhD, her doctorate, studying MySpace and teens on MySpace. And then this is a, a, her latest project, and it looks at the, the, the social lives of network teens. And, I mean... When I grew up, I didn't have to just think about what to share on Facebook and, you know, how much or how little. And there's a lot of stuff to navigate. So there are stories that perhaps we're not going to tell online. My, my wife's kids, the, the stories of their daily lives can be, can be really shocking. And those aren't all being put on their class blog. But there are pieces of their lives and pieces of their hearts and pieces of their minds that they're sharing. And it really... Uh, can allow not only her to deepen her relationship with them, but the mentors that they have. One of the most precious stories from last year was she had a child, uh, fourth grade, I think, fourth or it was when she was third and fourth grade, so fourth grader, and had a first grade um, brother or sister. And so they were writing back and forth, and, and the child wrote, I love you, you know, back to their, their, their brother. I don't know, maybe that seems like a small thing. But, you know, what does a note mean to you? Do you have a handwritten note from from your husband or wife or or significant other? I mean, getting things in writing can make a difference. It it builds relationships. Uh, It opens up doors for us to be able to um, have conversation. Um, Huh, that actually got trimmed off a little bit in the slide because I think my font was a little bit different when I imported this. What I wanted that to say, there we go is that student voice is critical and it's fragile. It's easy to break. It's easy to blow out. Um, Just like I said with spelling, I I could very quickly, in fact, it's way easier for me to shut down creative writing in my room than it is to build a culture where you feel safe enough and supported enough to take risks, to share things, you know, to share something that might not be perfect, but to to go ahead and um, put it out there. And so I really believe that student voice is critical. Helping kids recognize their voice is important. They have a voice, and they can have a powerful voice, right? I mean, there are reasons why Twitter is blocked in Iran and China, okay? Authoritarian governments are very fearful of social media and what it means for the empowerment of human beings. We are a different society, I mean, we have all kinds of things happening in our society, but, you know, Tiananmen Square didn't happen here, okay? I believe as teachers in our Republican democracy, it's important for us to not just teach about the three branches of government. It's important to teach our kids that these rights that folks fought and struggled for are things that we need to exercise. And it's not just voting. It is voting. But it's also free speech. we got... Stuff happening all over the country, right? There was stuff happening at the University of Missouri, like yesterday or the day before. The football team, you know, went on to um, this campaign for the resignation of the president. And there was free speech happening when a student for ESPN was there trying to, to video and document stuff. Anyway, it it's a big deal. And we are living in a day where these devices are more common than ever. And helping our kids, helping us... Make good choices with our technology is a big part of digital citizenship. And so I think student voice plays into that and it can really, your blog can be a very supportive and, and empowering place for students to share their voice, to be supported, and then to navigate with adult supervision, right? Kevin Honeycutt, who was the keynote last year at Miami Device, says kids are on the digital playground right now, all over the place, except the adults aren't there much, okay? They're kind of by themselves. 
When we have a class blog, it provides a place for us to be on that digital playground together and to be able to navigate a whole host of issues. I believe we need to model reasoned risk-taking. Okay, notice that I didn't say, let's all take risks. Okay, let's all go bungee jumping. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that for me as a teacher, I shared my first chapel talk at our school last week. That was actually kind of risky uh, because I'm a newcomer. I just started in this job in July. But there were some great conversations I had with other faculty. I actually had four sixth graders come talk to me, uh, and, and the principal you know, facilitated that. And it was, it was a good conversation um, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't shared. And so we're on a journey with all this. I didn't put in a slide that shows swimming, but it's like swimming. Hopefully you didn't start swimming by jumping off the 10-meter board. Hopefully somebody didn't you know, say, that's your introduction. Hopefully you got to start in the shallow end. And, and so this is a journey and a, and a process. I love this Charlie Parker quote, if you don't live it, it won't come out of your horn. It is a challenge. With, with my previous school where I was teaching STEM, they just got an iPad grant and, and literally, and I couldn't, I couldn't make it this week. I'm gonna, I had to reschedule for, for uh, I think next week or the week after. Where they're getting class blogs set up for all their classrooms. Well, one of the difficulties is that, and I've realized this, talking on the phone and responding to email, you know, the librarian who's now responsible for this, she has not blocked. She has not done this before. It's really hard, or it's harder, to do this with a class of students if you haven't done this yourself. And that's why I talked about a family learning blog. That's a low-stakes thing, you know, post, you can, you know, post pictures, post interviews, post work. Um, finding a place to share where it's lower stakes is a way of, of, of learning to use these tools, okay? So the last thing I want to kind of share here, and then we'll maybe have some time for some questions. Do we have 10 minutes? Is that right? We have till 50? Or we got, no, we got a little bit more than that. We got about 30, 14 minutes. Till 10.50? Okay. Um, is what I am going to courageously call um, a recipe for a classroom blogging revolution. Honestly, there's a lot less emphasis and excitement around blogging now than there was 10 years ago. Um, there are new things that have come about, right? Twitter, social media, Facebook. It's harder to find comments on blogs today. People will tend to tweet about something um, or just lurk, right? Just read. I mean, it's it, it, to write a comment, to put yourself out there. I mean, even that involves a risk. But I really believe in, in the power of blogging and the power of this tool to do some amazing things. So my first recipe, encouragement, and this isn't going to be like it works for everybody. So just like cooking, you know, tweak this to, to fit your, your situation. Start blogging personally. Um, I started blogging in 2003. About 2005, I set up my Speed of Creativity blog. Somewhere along the line, though, I decided I was going to post all my stuff about Christianity and my faith in another place. It wasn't because I wanted to hide it. It was because people who were coming to my main blog were more interested in technology and leadership and education. And I didn't want to be inhibited in sharing. And so I just created another space for that. So I have a bunch of different spaces. And that's something to kind of navigate to. But set up a space. okay? And, and it, it doesn't have to be about faith or about you know family learning. It could be about cooking or, or it could be about... Uh, you know, motocross, bike riding, or whatever, whatever you're into, but find a place where you can start blogging personally. Wesley, I'm sorry, I've been living at 10:50, making the schedule so much. This one actually ends at 10:40. The next one starts. Oh, so we have two minutes. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> so play with media. My first book in 2011 is Playing with Media. All right, PlayingWithMedia.com. Create low stakes personal media sandboxes, a place where you can create and share stuff. And, it, and then people, it won't be a big deal because you're not in front of a class of kids, right? It's higher stakes to do it in the classroom. So find places to play with media and get familiar with the tools. Blog with your students. Kid blog is what um, I have used the most with students. They now started charging, but they also had millions of dollars in venture capital investment that they have to recoup. Um, and I do want them to stay. I don't want companies to go away. I can, you know, list. Tony Vincent had a great slide last year with, you know, rest in peace. All these tools that are gone that we don't have anymore because they've, you know, gone gone away. So, um, kid blog, Melissa, would be my suggestion to you for a platform to look at. Um, as I mentioned, my wife has been using Read About this year. 
Here's one that I worked on in Yukon when I was there, and we're doing now. It's a, a school-wide learning showcase, all right? This is a website where multiple people can contribute, and the focus is amplifying student work, amplifying projects that kids have done. So this isn't about every kid's work goes here. This is about, hey, we did this project, and we were doing book reports, and here's a couple great projects that we did, you know, that my students did. I just posted this week our sixth graders did a perimeter and area Minecraft project, and um, I, we've actually just set this up. As I said, I started my job in July, and this is something that I believe is going to be a catalyst to help our teachers. Oh my gosh, did you know what they did over in, you know, Mr. Glenn's class, or you know what they're doing over in orchestra? But it's a way for us to share beyond. Consider sponsoring a student news blog. Do any of you do this now, where your kids will post about news at school? Great club to do, right? Our journalism club. A place for kids to interview teachers, to feature a little article with some pictures about our upcoming, you know, open house that we're going to have or, or our upcoming show. Um, Story Chasers, storychasers.org is a nonprofit that I am involved with. Uh, we will send you your own free kit. We'll mail it to you with a digital camera and a headset with a microphone and with, uh, what else is in it? Um, a recorder, just like the one I'm wearing, okay? I'm recording my session right now um, because we want to encourage student news. I think every school should have a website where kids write news and they share it. And then lastly, think about amplifying your work statewide. Local resonates differently than global. Um, this summer, I set up this website called the OklaEd Learning Showcase. We've had this hashtag going in our state now for a couple years. There's lots and lots of folks that get online um, in the evening at uh, 8 o'clock uh, or 7 o'clock. I think 7 o'clock on Sundays. Anyway, this is a place where hopefully we will have more teachers and, and, and more student work being shared and amplified. Nebraska loves public schools. Have you seen this? It's my favorite digital storytelling project of all time. What happened? One of the daughters of, uh, of uh, Buffett um, is, is a funder of it. They recognize so many taxpayers in Nebraska don't have kids in school. How are we going to help folks realize that public schools are essential? Well, we need to tell the stories. So that is what they do. I love this program. And this isn't just about blogging. It's about digital storytelling. But oh, guess how they share those? Yes, they share the videos on a blog. Last thing is, uh, next year at this time in Oklahoma City, I hope that we'll, we're going to be having the first annual digital sharing conference. Um, Felix is only going to be having this every two years, and I am in no way, shape, or form promising or saying that we will do anything the scale and fancy, you know, fanciness of Miami Device. We won't. But um, what I would really love to help more teachers do is... Uh, set up channels for sharing, and that's what the focus of that conference is going to be. It'll be the first uh, Friday, Saturday of November next year. So Sylvia Duckworth has a great visual note about reasons to blog. Um, on showwithmedia.com, you'll find more resources about interactive writing to include, lastly, this August post that I wrote, tips for choosing a blog, four different platforms that you can choose, and suggestions. So please use Newton's Laws. Yes, remember the Newton to uh, transform not only the, the sharing of ideas within your classroom, but also within your community. Thank you so much. You're listening to Fuel for Educational Change Agents, an audio podcast channel including a variety of audio recordings by and recorded by Wesley Fryer, published for educators worldwide interested in free audio-based professional development. This is a supplementary podcast channel complementing Moving at the Speed of Creativity podcast, which typically includes longer and lightly edited or unedited audio recordings. Learn more and access these podcasts on audio.speedofcreativity.org. All content on this podcast is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 United States license.